Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp, back at it again, Bob. I hope you're ready for the next episode deep into the heat of summer and enjoying a little time here in the great sunshine state. Yeah, I'll be heading your way soon, Jimbo. Going to be vacationing at Seaside, Florida with some of our friends. That is told where the Truman Show was filmed. Yeah. I actually, in preparation for vacation in Seaside last year, I watched the Truman Show. You know, when Tripp and I were in Charlotte doing our disc golf dude road trip, we watched a different movie each night. And one of those was The Truman Show because it's one of my favorite movies ever. I love The Truman Show. So I, I would be interested to see if you if, if I'm sure there's got to be some fun Truman Show touristy picture opportunities that I expect text messages with great pics from you. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to be disappointed because I can watch a movie and you have a, you have friends that can just really quote lots of movie lines and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Jimbo, my quotation ability from movies that I've seen is pretty limited. Right? <laughs> like, so I can do maybe the first star Wars movie that came out when I was, you know, really little yeah, seven or eight. I can do The Sandlot, which is probably remains one of my favorite movies, baseball movie. I love the line after Squints Palladoris tricks Wendy Peppercorn into giving him mouth to mouth so he can kiss her. And the narrator says, he kissed a woman. He kissed her long and he kissed her good. <laughs> I love that one. There's so many great, great lines from uh, The Sandlot that, that I know. Other than that, all I know is that Truman was shot in Seaside. And that's about all I can tell you. Well, if you if you happen across anything, I'd love to I'd love to see see anything as you come across it. Hey, speaking of summer, last week's episode we talked about as you're jumping into summer and you kind of have usually that means less people, less money, and if we're focused on the wrong scorecard, that becomes incredibly discouraging and frustrating and we start to, you know, really get depressed in the summer. But if you can switch your scorecard a little bit and I think last week's episode was great where we talked about focusing on missional engagement. How do you mobilize your people in missional engagement during the summer, take advantage of some of the unique aspects of summer? So as we're doing that, you know, Bob, you've got a talk that you've been doing lately that I think it'd be great for us to do a couple episodes, two to three episodes on, that really would take that mindset and expands beyond just the summer and really shifts our thinking about scorecards and our thinking about how we approach ministry, especially with minimal resources and people, which I'm just going to venture the large majority of our listening audience has minimal resources and people because of just the, the content that we discuss. And but even if you don't have minimal, you know, you have a larger than average, which, by the way, is what, like over 150, 200 is, is over, over, over 100 is is larger than average. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the average size of the SBC church was like, I want to say 66 or something like that. 67. Yeah. I can pull up the stat here in just a second. But but you'd be absolutely surprised. And you're 100 percent right. Like the majority of us don't have a lot of resources that we can just throw at a need in the church, that sort of thing. You know, it's an issue. So I was wrong on that, Jimbo. The average 
size of a church in the SBC life is 91. This 91. is according to ACP data. Yeah, but it's like 80% are below 100, though, right? Or something yeah. Like that. yeah. 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 79.1% are 99 or less. Yeah. So, uh, you know, right at right at 79, right at 80 percent are less than 100. So if you're over 100, just know you're not a small church. You are larger than your average church. And if you are struggling at 65, 75, 80, you're right there in the norm, you know, 50, 60. Like that's that's a normal normative size church. And so as you're thinking about that, you know, and there's been a lot of interesting media and articles and social media debates, uh, because we love to do that, uh, about the state of the Southern Baptist Convention in particular. I know not all of our audience is Southern Baptist, but that's our tribe. And so we obviously have a little more knowledge there. And it's been a great point of discussion in the world out there today of what is the state of how are churches in Southern Baptist Convention doing, Bob? Well, you know, I'm encouraged because of the recent ACP analysis, we've seen a rise in worship attendance, in baptisms, and in giving. And this was coming out of COVID, right? So I think what we're seeing is we're actually seeing some some growth from a low. And then I would also say this, we did an analysis on the percentage of churches that are, are they either in decline, plateau, or growing. And Jimbo, from, from the last 10 years, we're actually seeing fewer churches are in decline, and more churches are growing. And so we're, we're excited about that. So I think there's some good signs that are they're pointing to some healthy things. But by and large, what we also see, Jimbo, is that there are a lot of pastors, I think, that are coming to the end of their pandemic fatigue, and they're really mm-hmm. trying to evaluate, do I stick this out? And if I stick this out, how do I lead now? Right? Because yeah. I can't lead in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know, we're beyond the point where we can continue to blame COVID for everything. We've yes. been beyond that moment. But what you can still accredit to the season of the pandemic is just how tired a lot of pastors are right now. Mm-hmm. Because they kind of fought through and, and pushed through and gritted their teeth and, and, you know, white knuckled maybe through that season and are now on the other side trying to rebuild. And legitimately, that was a disruptive moment in our culture in the sense that we no longer live in the same culture that we did before mm-hmm. COVID. And so we find ourselves in a new missional context with new challenges and things to approach. And so the well-being of pastors has to come into factor in this conversation as well. You're, you're 100% right. And, you know, Barna released a study and a lot of those stats were coming out. And so what we've seen is is we've seen most pastors in 2015, there were a majority of them, 72% said they were really satisfied with their job in 2015. Now, the latest research that Barner showed us is that in 2022, only 52% said that they were satisfied. So we're, what we're seeing is, is pastoral satisfaction is, is declining. And there are a number of factors in that, Jimbo. But I think one of the things that we want to talk about is if you are in a, a church that has weathered the challenging aspects of COVID in the last couple of years, you're tired, you're facing the cultural headwinds of an approaching political season and all of the cultural changes. Like how, how do you lead now yeah. in, in a way that's going to help your church in light of your context and your resources? So I, I've developed a talk uh, called Ministry Maxims and Scorecards. And I think what we're going to focus on is the ministry maxims. These are leadership things that you can do in any setting, regardless of size of church context of church and resources of church. And I think these are things that would be helpful for us to talk about in terms of, of pastoral leadership. And what I would say, getting back to the kind of stuff we talked about in the initial intro, 
summer is a great time to work on things in the church because the pace is a little bit slower usually mm-hmm. in some ways. You do have some people out. And then what you don't want to find yourself doing is trying to ramp up for the fall like a week before school starts. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, so take the summer season and think about some shifts that you can make in your leadership style and approach to things that will have lasting impact for the for the whole next season of ministry. And I think that's great if we think through this, knowing how how to focus and accomplish what we can with what we've got and not try to overshoot and not try to be something we're not, but how do we focus on what it is that is most important. So let's hit it off with the, the first. The first maxim is discerning and adapting versus doubling down or diving deep into discouragement. So one of the things that's important for us as leaders, Jimbo, is I think we can uh, find ourselves in a situation where where we just we're just going to get it done and so we kind of double down right or we what we're doing isn't working and we're not sure what to do and we're exhausted and we can't figure it out so we just kind of dive deep into to uh, dive deep into discouragement so i think what what we really need to to come to is a place where we step back from a situation from the context of our church and we discern What's going on? What are the really important things? Mm-hmm. What, what are the things I need to be giving my time to? Where where am I exhausted or what am I exhausting myself with? And is it actually helping us fulfill our mission? Yeah. And so I need to discern those things. And one of the things we've talked about historically here is every pastor needs a stop doing list. Yeah. Like if you did one thing this summer and you started a list of things that you need to stop doing and maybe delegate, right? And we're not talking about major pastoral responsibilities because there's some things that we just don't want to do, right? Because yeah. we don't like them, but they're under our leadership uh, umbrella. Yeah. But what is it that that the Lord has called you to do and then adapt towards that? Like what, what are the, the most strategic and significant things that you can do to help your church in this next season of ministry that lean into your gifts, lean into your expertise, that also empower and mobilize people to, to do things that you'll stop doing? Yeah. I think the episode we did a couple of weeks ago on discerning the difference between important and urgent could be helpful mm-hmm. as you're doing that. And even, you know, I was I was talking with a discouraged pastor recently who's just overwhelmed and there's just a lot going on and he's in that moment. And and I just said, I said, hey, listen, here's here's the thing. You got to take one day at a time. And, you know, when you're when you're really deep in discouragement, you got to take one day at a time and you got to figure out what is it that God has called me to do? What are what are the what are the things I know I am responsible for that I need to do well? And do those. And if you don't have the people, the time, the money, the resources, the capacity to do something else, then don't. And it's going to be okay. You, we don't have to overcomplicate everything. We need to be thinking ahead. One of those things is we do need to be thinking ahead. What, what's happening in the fall? But as, as we're getting ready for that. But I love that discerning, discerning what's really what really matters right now. What is it? What is the most important things for me to be putting my energy into, and my effort and thought into? What can I delegate? How can I develop others and to take some things so that I'm just doing the things I know I'm supposed to do and adapting instead of just doubling down? And it, when we double down and just continue to do the things we've always done, it never is going to play out as well as we hope. And it's, it's not we're not going to get back to the way that it was effective before, because every day we walk out of our door into a new ministry context and culture. It, it's constantly ever changing which means we have to be ready to constantly ever change in the way that we approach those things. Not in not in what we're about and what we're called to, but in how we do that. Mm-hmm. There are three things I think that help us develop discernment. First of all, is just immerse yourself in God's word, right? Mm-hmm. Getting God's word and let scripture wash over your mind and your thinking and your emotions and your perspective. 
Next, I would say, if you could reflect on the ways of men, the world and the culture and the church, just think through, how are all these things playing together? Like, think through people's schedules, people's levels of commitment, what's happening around you in your church context. And then exercise good decision-making by dialoguing about these things as a group, get your, get your key group of leaders together, whether it's elders or deacons or ministry heads, get them together and then just think through, because it was we it's easy for us to say, okay, develop discernment. Well, there's some ways that you develop discernment. So those are just some real simple, practical ways. All right. So let's, uh, let's move to the next ministry maxim that you have listed is leading paradigmatic change versus reinvigorating old programs, kind of connected to the one we just discussed. Yeah. So I, when I first went to our replant here, there was a, a committee or group, a team that was called the church council. Have you ever heard of a church council? Jimbo? I have. I've not experienced one personally. Well, I have in churches I've been helping, but not in the ones that I've led. So in in most churches, what a church council is, is it's a group of all of the ministry leaders that meet to discuss the calendar events that are scheduled for the church. Mm -hmm. And so here's how our church council went. Well, what did we do last year? And then someone would say, well, we did this thing, and then we've got this event coming up. Okay, well, what do we need to do to make that happen again, right? There was no uh, there was no discussion on, was it effective? Did people show up? Did it accomplish its ministry purpose? Did it have a ministry purpose, right? Hmm. One of the things that, that I realized was we're going to have to have paradigmatic change. We have to change paradigms, the way we think about things, the way we approach ministry, I- instead of just doing the same old thing and maybe doing it better, right? So when I came into that context as as a replant pastor, they were hoping that I would just make everything that they'd already done better, real rather than asking the question of what do we really need to be doing, right? I think some some places they were like, yeah, we need to do new things, but here's what we've got to do. This is coming up. There was really no thought about let's Let's really ask you about the right thing to do. Jimbo, there was this thing that we did at our church called Christmas Around the World. And here's what Christmas Around the World was. It was a Sunday evening gathering, and we invited different people, group churches. So we had the Arabic church, the Chinese gospel church, Hispanic church, and we would invite them to come. And each group would sing a song with their choir or two songs with their choir. Someone would give a devotion. And then we would hold hands around the sanctuary and sing Silent Night, each in our own language. Mm -hmm. And then we would walk downstairs and we would, everybody would bring the food from their ethnic people group. So you'd have Arabic food, Chinese food. And then if we didn't, we didn't have an Hispanic congregation. So we had some of our own church members that like made a, you know, old El Paso Mexican food. (laughs) (laughs) And so as a chef, you would have hated that one, but you might have enjoyed the others. But right before we did this, this is so I came to the church in November, and I remember that one of the oldest members, Joy, and she was 92. She was an old lady that was named Joy, but she didn't appear to have any joy. <laughs> it wasn't a prophetic naming like in the Old no, Testament. No, it was not the Old Testament. She's a sweet lady, but she just said, well, it's time to do Christmas on the world, and I'm old and I'm tired, and it's my year to do it, but I ain't doing it. Somebody else is going to have to do it. <laughs> so I just said, well, I just started asking those newcomer questions. 
why do we do this? Yeah. What's the purpose behind it, et cetera, et cetera. So we ended up doing it that year and it was okay. It wasn't great. But then the following year, we began asking more questions about what we do. So that's leading paradigmatic change. You know, replanter, you, if you're new to spot, you probably don't want to kill Christmas around the world because you don't want to be like Jimbo blame that he hates Christmas or hates WMU or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> But you at least need to begin asking questions because here's the difference between a leader and a manager. A leader asks questions about why you're doing something to make sure that it's in keeping with the mission. A manager just tries to improve what you're doing and doesn't evaluate the mission. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is changing culture. I mean, that paradigmatic Mm -hmm. shift. That's hard, man. That's, you know, we've all heard the saying culture eats strategy for breakfast. And the idea there is whatever your strategies are, if you've not changed the culture, then they're going to get swallowed up. And another way to say that, I guess, is your strategies, especially if new, will always lose to the culture. When mm-hmm. it comes, when they come to a battle, and so you know, I one of the things you said in the last one is immerse yourself in God's word. I'm convinced part of the way you have to do paradigmatic change and change the culture of a church is through the word. Mm-hmm. And one, I think you have to paradigmatically shift the church to truly see the word as their authority, and you have to lead with the word as authority. Mm-hmm. And if you can accomplish those two things, and you're truly leading in a biblical mission and vision driven by the word, and you've led the congregation to truly see God's word as our authority, then you can lead through the word paradigmatic change. But it's hard, man. There's a lot of questions you got to ask. There's a lot of sacred cows you got to starve to death or kill somehow. Yeah. And this this is one of the hardest pieces of leading change is impacting the culture. Yeah, it is. It's really hard. You know, there are three things. I, I love Todd Bolsinger's book, Canoeing the mountains. He talks about how do you change culture? He suggests a couple of things. One is you got to understand the existing culture, right? Really understand it. Why do we do this? Yeah. How did this start? Who, who is this important to? You know, what was the mission behind this? Because sometimes you can redeem something if you can recover the mission. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's important to do. And then he says you got to gain trust and dem- demonstrate credibility. So you got to preach good sermons. You got to visit people. You got to love them. You got to build a relationship so that they'll uh, trust you as you seek to change culture. And then here's something I love this. Bolsinger says, you got to birth something new together. Mm. The summer is a perfect time to do that. What if you got with some of your leaders and said, what if we tried something new together Mm -hmm. to help our body connect with the community? And going back to the last episode, what if we... What if we just did popsicles in the park, right? And let's let's do this. Let's just try this and see what happens. I think those things are super helpful. But you're you're exactly right. I think if you if you're trying to change culture, you're going to be exhausted because you as you're changing culture, you're still doing all the same things you've probably already done, mm-hmm. right? Before you can let go of them, you have to change the culture of the folks to hang on with the death grip to the things that they do, mm-hmm. and you've got to change the culture of putting your trust in programs or things like that in order to trust God, pursue God, and, and discern what he might have for you in the future. I love your suggestion of, of birthing something new that is for a season, that's temporary mm-hmm. even. I, I think it's, you know, when you come in and you just go, hey, from now on to the end of eternity, this is how we're doing this. <laughs> you know, that's n- never going to be received well. But if you can say, hey, hey, just try this with me for, you know, for four weeks, for six weeks, for three weeks, whatever, one, one semester or one quarter of the year, usually people are 
usually, not always, usually people are amenable to to try something for a small season and just see how it goes. Uh, so pick something that you're pretty sure is going to win. And this is, you know, I wouldn't start with something super risky if you're just starting to change the culture. You can increase your amount of risk as you go, as people uh, start, start to buy into your leadership capital and you know, take, you know, that gain trust and demonstrate credibility. That's that leadership capital we talked about a few weeks back. And and so continue to build that, do something temporary, something seasonal, understanding what you've got and, and try something new together for a season. Yeah. Let's wrap up with this one. The shifts that I think you have to to make is you have to empower and equip your body for ministry rather than exhaust yourself doing ministry. Yes. And and so, you know, one of the constant themes that you bring in is Ephesians 4 about equipping people for the work of ministry so that the body becomes mature. I think what happens during a season of great change and cult, a great season of trying to change the culture and maybe deconstructing Mm-hmm. is we can deconstruct some things that were good in that someone else or a structure or a group of people was was leading out in that area. And when you mm-hmm. deconstruct it, it's going to roll back on probably the pastor, right? Yeah. And so in some cases, as you're trying to form something new and you deconstruct something, you'll find some gaps. You'll find, oh my gosh, we just took out a support leg for ministry that I didn't realize we just took out. Yeah. And then what happens in that moment is somebody's got to do it. And so typically what happens, or what I've seen happen in the summer season or in a, in a season of great change, the pastor ends up doing it or it falls back on a key leader. Because sometimes, Jimbo, the, the people who have been freed from a structure of ministry that, that has it, had an expiration date on it and it was already expired, mm. and you set them free, bro, they're out. Like they yeah. are free. Yeah. And then you realize, oh my gosh, we, somebody's got to make the bulletins, right? Somebody's got to do this. And, and we ran into this recently in our church, our custodian, long-term custodian. Let's just say the church I'm attending now, I'm part, I'm part of and a member member at. Our long-time custodian was the one that always switched the, the boiler from wintertime to summertime, turn on the AC. And mm-hmm. he had a significant medical medical issue was gone and nobody knew how to do it. And here we are in into warm weather here in the late spring. And man, Jimbo, it's hot, right? And yeah. And so we had a situation where there was nobody else because the structure that had been present to have a properties committee mm-hmm. had been changed before our, our current pastor was there because there was a merger. And so they just did away with every committee and leadership team. And so they didn't realize, oh, my gosh, there, there's a deficit here. So now we're scrambling in a good way, Jimbo, and I think to using the, the crisis of that need to put in structure that's going to be healthy for the long term, that it's not going to fall back on the pastor. Yeah, I think that's so huge. I mean, you can't have anything so dependent on you. And we've talked about the, you know, in the liver line kind of mentality that you end up with as a as a pastor and everything ends up falling to you. But if you just burn yourself out because you feel like all these programs have to happen, you're not serving the church well. That That's not serving you well, your family well, or the church well. And that's where, you know, the beginning of this episode, I think we said, sometimes when you just don't have the people, you don't have the money. You just don't do it. You know, I think when it comes to air conditioning, Bob, you should probably get somebody that can turn the air conditioner on. Uh, <laughs> that one's that one's necessary. You got to figure that one out. You, yes. you, you outsource that. You figure out somebody that can do that. But you, but to the point, like you don't want to find yourself in that spot where only one guy knows how to do that. Right. And yeah. yep. uh, 
not just even with logistical things like, you know, maintenance, but even the the ministries that you do, right? I, I met a pastor one time that, you know, when he showed up on Sunday morning, he did the announcements, he led the music, he did the sermon, he did the children's moment, he led Sunday school, he, you know, was the first one there to open the doors and turn on the lights, and he's the last one to leave, to lock the door. And I was like, man, what, I mean, this is not church. This is, I don't know what this is, but this is not the biblical body of Christ being the body of Christ. And and so that may, if to take this approach likely means you will initially be doing less stuff. And that's not entirely a bad thing. Now, not everyone's going to believe that's not a bad thing, but it's not entirely a bad thing. At our church, we when we had some exits, some key exits, it severely put us at a disadvantage for children's ministry. Mm-hmm. So I met with our remaining children's ministry volunteers, and I just said, listen, here's the deal. Burnout is not an option. We're not, nobody's burning out. We're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. How many Sundays can we realistically provide what we think is good children's ministry services without burning anybody out? And the mm-hmm. initial answer, Bob, was once a month. Wow. So you know how often we did children's ministry? Once a month. Once a month. Yeah. Until we could do it twice a month. And for us, we actually found we loved that rhythm of every other week, the kids were in service with us, and we found ways to incorporate them in and have some great times with them. But we had to work our way back to twice a month. And the deal was, we're just not going to burn anybody else out. We'd honestly, we'd already burned out too many children's ministry leaders. And, mm-hmm. and we just said, well, this is not a pattern we can continue. That's mm-hmm. a, That feels like an easy thing to talk about on a podcast, but that's a hard thing to lead in your church. It is absolutely most difficult to. And then I think the other thing that I would say is there are things that, Pastor, you probably need to let fall to the ground in order to expose two things. One is that you you can live without it mm-hmm. as a church. And then two, somebody within the body has to step up and do it. You can't, yeah. right, in addition to all the other things you're doing. And sometimes the strategic drop or deficit is is. It does more in terms of helping shape and shift culture than you saying something about it. Yeah. Right. And so you can't do that with everything because you you start losing credibility, right? Then and, yeah. and you know it hinders the body. But if there's a strategic drop that can take place, the well placed use of a strategic drop can be a really good leadership moment for for the church. And so just consider that if that's something you can do to help shift the culture. All right. This has been excellent, Bob. I think let's come back next week and dive into a few more of these because I think this is really going to be helpful for guys as they're navigating the summer and planning for the fall. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.